This is Particularly Baptist, a podcast of the pastors of Emmanuel Baptist Church. This is Pastor Steve Meister. I'm here with my brother, Pastor Robert Briggs, and we have a special guest with our return to the podcast, Pastor Conrad Mbewe from Kabata Baptist Church in Lusaka, Africa. Brothers, good to have you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Wonderful. We've had a great uh, weekend, really, with our Sacramento Golf Gospel Conference, and Pastor Mbewe has been speaking and ministering to our church and to, to others. It's been a good time, isn't it, Rob? It's been an absolutely wonderful time, Steve. I feel I've had a, uh, an injection of spiritual adrenaline with our brother coming and ministering to us from our first breakfast last Wednesday morning to our, our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, our pastoral workshop on uh, Friday morning, which was wonderful, and then our conference on Saturday up at Gold Country, and then yesterday the ministry of the word to our souls has just been wonderful, and we're so thankful that the Lord yeah. brought our brother Conrad in the midst of this time to minister to us. It really has been a rich treat for us, brother. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's been an honor for me to be here. Yeah, absolutely, and it's been, we won't spend our time on the podcast talking about the undertaking it's been for uh, our brother traveling here in 2020, but uh, we're <laughs> thankful to God for how he superintended everything, Amen. and we're going to keep trusting him to get you back home safely as well. Amen. Um, well, we wanted to take the opportunity, since we were together here in the same continent, even brother, to talk a little bit, and um, maybe even uh, have a couple episodes of our podcast, but we wanted to especially talk about... Um, your subscription and ministry uh, with the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. And maybe you could just um, tell us a bit about how you first encountered that. Uh, I know something of your testimony in that year um, sensed the call to pastoral ministry while you were serving as a mining engineer. Is that yes. correct? Yes. And then how did, how did, give us a little bit of how that transition, you transitioned into pastoral ministry and then came to be persuaded of the doctrine and then to subscribe to the confession? Yes, well, first of all, the, the church that I got converted, uh, well, the church I began attending soon after I got converted, the Lusaka Baptist Church, in 1979, um, got a new pastor in December, and his name was Joseph Fukwe. He had just come in from England where he did his pastoral training. He was exposed to reformed consecutive expository preaching. And when he took over the pastorate, uh, the, the, the consecutive expository preaching was in the book of Romans. Uh, so his predecessor brought that series to chapter 5. And he took over from chapter 5 going all the way. Uh, at least he went down to chapter 8 by the time I left to go and... Uh, start working in the mines. Now, going from chapter 5 to chapter 8 of Romans, he must have taken like three years. Wow. And it was in-depth, it was stretching. Uh, so it wasn't just the form of preaching that was revolutionary, it was the depth. Mm -hmm. And he was often quoting people like Lord Jones, Charles Hodge, John Murray, and so on. And that exposed us then to the books that he was reading and quoting from, well, Charles Adam Spurgeon being one that he just quoted not so much on Romans, but in terms of his pithy sayings. So we, we then got to stumble across the, the Banner of Truth books. Mm. And once we got to know about them, then we went further than just Romans. We, we began to drink in, for instance, Lewis Beck of Systematic Theology, the... 
Arnold Dalimo's uh, biography of Whitfield and um, John Murray's um, um, redemption accomplishment and applied yeah. and, and so on. So our doctrinal position was being grounded and um, affirmed along the lines of uh, the, the Reformed faith. Uh, by the time a number of us were graduating, we, we generally felt that, I mean, we knew that this was um, novel. Very few people around us had this appreciation, first of all, of just uh, deliberate expository preaching, but secondly, in terms of a, a very clear doctrinal reformed position. So we thought, let's let's at least maintain some level of contact with one another, even as we are scattered across the country, so that we, we don't lose something of this uh, love that we have come to, um, to have for uh, this distinctly uh, Christian expression. And so by the time I was then going to work uh, in the mines, that's really the doctrinal background that I came from. Um, up to that point, I'm not sure that we had actually discovered the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, perhaps one or two of us may have, but it wasn't on the table for us to discuss. I remember we were talking in terms of um, uh, George Whitfield being our model. So we'd speak in terms of uh, Calvinistic Methodism. That's the way we're talking about right. it. That let's make sure we, we maintain this. Um, then I came into the pastorate uh, at Kabota Baptist Church in September 87, and my two closest friends, Ronald Kalifongo and Cholo Mwetwa, came in in 1988 and 89. So more or less around about the same time, we took on three very new churches. And uh, we, they were all sort of conservative evangelical with a reformed flavor, but certainly not having been really thought through in any amount of detail. But what happened was in 1989, we had a, a brother who came in from England by the name of um, um, Ashiel Blaze. Yeah. He came to preach at our conference. <laughs> <I know Ashiel. laughs> yeah. And he came with a lot of these little, uh, basically sort of photocopied uh, <coughs> copies of the 1689 Baptist Confession of it Faith. It was before the Banner of Truth gift editions, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, he was giving them out like confetti. And you know, we, we just loved the fact that here was this confession of faith. It was the 300th anniversary, and it fully expressed our own convictions mm. as, first of all, the pastors and what we're seeking to implement in our churches. So since we're already Baptist, and this was now a very uh, reformed Baptistic document, we, we basically went to our church leaders independent of each other. I mean, we were talking, but we're not planning that it should be that way. Uh, and said, brethren, I think we need to move in this direction so that we, we formally adopt. Our, our statements of faith in our church constitutions were very brief, sort of one page, mm -hmm. 
um, conservative evangelical. But we felt if we adopted this, we would have a teaching tool because it had all those Bible verses. There was greater depth. It went beyond soteriology. It went into you know, the, the nature of the church and it went into you know, the magistrate and marriage and so on. It went into all these areas. So for us at Kabata Baptist Church, all we did was to do a one-year-long series of studies. And I prepared the material. The, it was in small groups, so someone else would present, they would discuss, and so on, and then compare what's coming out of the scriptures with what's stated in the confession of faith. And it was very clear that it was towards adoption. So finally, we had like two or three sessions where we would meet and I would say, okay, is there anyone who has any difficulties with what is in the confession of faith in the light of what we've studied? So one or two people would ask questions, would answer, and then we'll do again the next phase. After about a year of that, we met and the, the leadership basically proposed that we adopt and the majority then voted in favor. And that's how at least my own church took that position. And from there, a number of other churches did. And the Reformed Baptist movement in the, in the country, based on the uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, was, was birthed. Wonderful. So it really is a story of fellowship and friendship that began and then God's providence with Ashel Blaze and yes. just exposing you to that. I know one of the things we encounter here just in ministry when folks find out about our confession, the question of relevance comes up with something that's you know centuries old, has London in the title, we're in Sacramento. I imagine Lusaka, Zambia, I don't know if it feels farther than Sacramento to from London. How do, how do you navigate that in, in the churches that you're aware of um, in ministry, does does it ever strike Zambian ears of a second London Baptist confession as just way out there as you talk about that just in normal ministry, membership classes, and these kinds of things? Well, I think one major difference between perhaps America and, and uh, our Zambian context is that there is a greater appreciation of the fact that Christianity largely came to us mm. from England. Mm -hmm. um, our, our first missionaries who planted the Baptist work in Zambia were missionaries from England. They came through Malawi into Zambia. So when we are speaking in terms of the, the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, what we're really saying is, you know, guys, actually what we are saying we believe is not novel. It's, it's not something we are trying to introduce. We, we can go back to the roots, and that's where it was formulated. Mm -hmm. So London is not so much simply Lusaka versus London. London is more like the roots. Mm -hmm. So our argument then is, okay, this simple statement we have in our constitution, can somebody tell us the genealogy? Where has it come from? And nobody seems to know. Well, this one, which is fuller, goes back 300 years and goes back to the place where the Baptist faith was being panel-beaten into shape. Mm. So I think it, it, it has a, a slightly different 
uh, feel to it than perhaps here where, you know, it's sort of London over there, Sacramento here. Why are we having this statement within us? Right, right. It's, it's The phrase is not original to me, but I've used before, you know, the historic confession at the very least reminds us that Christianity was not invented last Tuesday, <laughs> that it, uh, we go farther back and that we have roots that we want to, mm. Main stand in the stream with of our brothers and sisters down through the ages. Yes. What counsel as a as an experienced pastor, an experienced trainer of pastors? I know I have a conversations with a lot of colleagues in ministry who maybe have conservative evangelical training or have taken more uh, sort of generic Baptist churches, for lack of a better word. What counsel would you give to such uh, pastors in trying to transition a church to subscribe to? Uh, the second London confession or a historic confession a- at all. What are the, you know, primary pitfalls that you might face? What are some mm. um, principles of wisdom as you're making that kind of transition as a congregation? Yes. Uh, I think first of all, it, it's, it's simply helping the congregation generally, but the leadership primarily to see the importance of doctrine to the health of a church. Uh, There are too many churches that function more like just nice clubs. We're having a good time together. We've got a good leader or good leaders without thinking in terms of the fact that we live what we believe. So we need to have roots that are sound doctrinally for us then to have the superstructure or the shoot that is also sound. So even before you start talking which confession of faith or whether you ought to have a confession of faith, it's just important that the church begins to appreciate the importance of doctrine, of sound doctrine, um, for life and living the community of God's people together and, and so on. I think once that's beginning to be appreciated, especially by the leadership, then to change gears and speak more in terms of, okay, uh, where do we stand in historic Christianity? So it's not about, you know, what do you believe and what do you believe and what do I believe and, you know, uh, how do we go forward? It's the fact that Christianity did not begin with us. So is there a document already in place that describes or represents our belief system. Um, now, thankfully, in this case, that's, that's what helped us with the 1689 um, Baptist Confession of Faith. It was the fact that there was something that we could say, you know, here uh, it is. So why rework the wheel? Why, why try to start something else when there's something that's already defining us in history? Beyond that, as as we did in Zambia, is to say, okay, let's study. Let's not just lift it and try to impose it on God's people, because ultimately it must be an expression of our faith. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go to the Bible, let's study, and from there enable ourselves collectively to say, yes, this is the closest we can get to uh, a statement of faith that represents us. I would like to add the need for patience. And if there's an area where perhaps we 
um, were a, a bit unwise. It was in the lack of patience. Um, as I was saying in another recording, or at least talking about it elsewhere, I was young. I was between the age of 25 and 30. And for me, once I could see the truth, well, we knew exactly what to do. Uh, people who were struggling, especially some, knowing that some of them already had the agenda of wanting to uh, stop this process, I... I lacked the patience, and so we lost quite a number of people who, if we had sort of just allowed a little more time, perhaps they would have been won over. So if I was to make an appeal, you know, now 30-plus years in ministry, I would say be patient with with God's people uh, so that you carry as many of them uh, along with you. So that, that, that's really what, what I would say. And especially that the leadership together must move together. Once you have a cleavage in the leadership, you, you won't make much progress. I remember uh, a line that you used for our pastor's workshop on Friday related to that same theme that stuck with me, and you exhorted us to be patient as we're teaching. And if, if we are impatient the, in change in our congregation, the congregation will get together, and the first thing they'll decide to change is us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Move out the leadership. So that's very wise in many ways. Yes. Um, and that's pretty much some of your story, isn't it, Rob, in terms of church planning in Northern Ireland and with the Baptist Confession was yeah. patience. Yeah, I find it interesting the the... the concurrent tributaries that Conrad was swimming in in Africa and Ashel Blaze used to come to Northern Ireland and preach regularly in a congregational church when I was at seminary Mm. and we would hear about this black preacher that was coming to preach in Northern Ireland which you know white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Northern Ireland Ashel was uh, an unusual preacher to come in but we were young men passionate for preaching and Ashel was a good preacher and so wherever he was we heard he was doing a conference. We would be there. And he would always be very generous with us. He'd let us come for lunch and we'd meet him and we'd have a bowl of soup. And he was such a gracious man. And he was instrumental for a number of us, even in us connecting in uh, with Reformed Baptist theology. Um, and so I'm very thankful for my memories of Ashil. I know he's retired now. and uh, But he, he, it was interesting. He was kind of going to Africa around the same time, uh, Conrad. But yeah, definitely my experience was the very mistakes that Conrad has mentioned. And I, I have the T-shirt. I've lived it. I've got the pie. My first pastor after three and a half years went that way. Um, and I look back on it and recognize that like, a, like Conrad, I'm thinking, well, that's me taught it. It's quite clear. What have you got a problem with? Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Here I am almost 30 years in pastoral ministry now, and I have a completely different perspective on it. And uh, whilst I love my confession of faith, we believe it here at IBC. We're committed to the whole counsel of God that it reflects. Uh, We would want to encourage young men who embrace these things and grapple with these things to recognize the the, the patience that needs to be exercised Mm. in the bringing the church with us 
in these things is critically important. And I think looking back, although we planted a Reformed Baptist Church and uh, all of that, uh, I think there was undoubtedly harm done, damage done that could have been avoided with more wisdom, uh, Conrad, for sure. I lacked the wisdom back then. I definitely want to not just teach it to young men, but drive it home very deeply into their hearts so that they would avoid some of those pitfalls. I think piggybacking on one thing, Conrad, that you mentioned, though, and I think it's very interesting for us, as especially now in 2020, and what we're seeing in America, clearly the, the, the rise and fruit of a post-modernity philosophy that detaches from history or revises history or whatever way we want to look at how they view history that we in the Christian church have to recognize that the Christian church is a historical uh, reality that has come into existence and the purpose of God. And the importance of a historical root foundation that is traceable is important to us uh, in the right sense of the tradition uh, that we need to hold to. Because we have, and we mentioned this in another interview we did, Conrad, the charismatic confusion today of me, my Bible, if they even get to the Bible, uh, and Jesus, disconnected from anything that's gone before, actually is guaranteed error and guaranteed to lead us to cultic practices. And I think that if there's one thing that, at the stage of my own life in ministry, an understanding of God and his word and, and, and theology is that we need to be, it's part of our discipleship, teaching our people, and you mentioned that you know that you're coming into something that's existed long before you ever came into Christianity. It's far bigger than you, um, but it's so important that you recognise and understand this, so that the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints, is that which we are passing down, and it has a historical root and foundation. Yeah that we must identify. And to your point, Connor, whether it be a Westminster Confession, a Heidelberg Catechism, uh, the, the three, you know, three uh, forms, four, forms whatever, or a, a, in our case, the 1689, Christianity is historical. God entered history in the personal work of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is a historical event the return of Jesus is historical. It is all, as you preached last night so well, Conrad, it's all going somewhere. Uh, that People need to be discipled in that to help them combat the, the, the postmodernism uh, and the relativism of our culture that is just destroying humanity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we have a, a real responsibility in these days to ground our people historically. And I think as we've grown over the years and we've learned that we've made our mistakes... Uh, I'm so thankful that we have a historical confession of faith that was hammered out in the anvil of great controversy back in the 1600s in the English-speaking world. Yeah. Uh, and it takes us back further to the Apostles' Creed and back to the first century. And right. we have this, con you know, this flow of truth as the Spirit of God has worked down through the ages and continues to work in the church. We need to emphasize that reality against the postmodernity of our world. Uh, it's very important. We, we would certainly deny apostolic succession like our, our Episcopalian friends might affirm, but we, we, we must uphold the succession of apostolic doctrine that the, the gospel has been preserved and held, and we want to stand where Christians have stood for millennia for the gospel, wherever we are in America or Zambia or where have you. Uh, maybe w one more, I think, helpful uh, insight we've picked up from you this weekend, brother, is uh, 
is why you're here is to do a conference and workshop on missions and for pastors leading in missions. Perhaps the caricature for those who just have a superficial knowledge is Reformed Baptists aren't very evangelistic or uh, into missions. Oh, we know historically that's far from uh, true. Um, how would you describe the usefulness and just the convictions even that we affirm in the confession and um, what that brings to you guys as you've been involved with extensive missions work and church planning uh, work there in Zambia and beyond? Uh, what's the question? Um, what, how would you see the role the confession plays okay. in your church planning and missions work? Yeah. Well, first of all, we, we we help our people and, of course, the missionaries that grow out of that to appreciate that church planting is essentially a mother giving birth to a baby. In other words, you are reproducing yourselves. You're not just wanting to seize anything that simply has some semblance of church beginning to exist. Otherwise, I mean, there are quite a number around that are going by that title. It's the fact that you you see the need for light to be spread and light being truth. So having a confession of faith, a fuller confession of faith than just a one-paged general evangelical statement enables you to then have a a like-minded church being planted. Mm -hmm. And that's where it is helpful because then the the missionary that you are sending out is somebody who has been helped, first of all, to to be grounded in the uh, Reformed faith as it is uh, expressed within the context of the Baptist church. And it's there in black and white. But it also means that as he is beginning to disciple the converts where he's gone and trying to put together a membership, he has a a document he can use that the individuals who are coming to faith, even those that are just hearing about the new work and then coming and asking the question, so what are you guys all about? He's able to say, well, you know, you read this, that's what we stand for. So it's not just about me as the missionary and my belief system. We we do have a a history. We are part of a a flow, as uh, Robert said. We we are part of a current, and this is who we are. And I think it it, it also helps the, the community where you're planting a church to, to realize that this is this is not just something novel that somebody's bringing here this this is uh, the, the, the the person who's come to plant the church is is someone who uh, is coming from something that is tested and tried across history mm. so it, it it provides for that sense of uh, uh, strong uh, stability and foundation for them. Uh, and then as the churches are multiplying, it gives you a sense of family again together. Um, so it's not just personalities that know one another, but that it's, it's the strength of uh, 
your doctrinal statement and so forth. So we, we I mean, it's, it's definitely not a side issue to us. It's, it's very much part of what um, helps with the entire outflow of our mission's work. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, brother, for your wisdom in this conversation. It's been very helpful. I'm sure it's going to help those who listen as well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks brothers. So Good talking to you.